Quote, fear not the path of truth, for the lack of people walking on it. End quote. Robert F. Kennedy. A new poll by ABC Washington News shows both Trump and DeSantis beating Biden by six points. For podcast listeners, a graphic from Real Clear Politics that shows Trump at 45, Biden at 39, DeSantis at 44, Biden at 38, and Joe Biden's approval rating at 37%. According to this poll, the public does not believe Biden is fit to serve mentally or physically. For podcast listeners, two tweets from political polls, is in good enough physical health to serve effectively as president? Joe Biden, yes, 33%, no, 62%. Donald Trump, yes, 64%, no, 28%. Has the mental sharpness it takes to serve effectively as president? Joe Biden, yes, 32%, no, 63%. Donald Trump, yes, 54%, no, 43%. None of this matters much when you have abandoned the truth and depend on a manufactured, curated reality by a partisan public relations department disguised as legacy media. And no one is all that worried. They know the fix is in. The 2024 election will be just like 2020 and 2022 as the Democrats exploit a system they once could not tame but now have mastered. Gaslight Americans, hide the candidates, and let the machine do the rest. Mark and Molly Hemingway have sounded the alarm, writing in the American mind, quote, it might not matter whom Republicans run for president in 2024. America's propaganda press traffics in disinformation. Its big tech oligarchs censor news and information helpful to conservatives while elevating biased news and information that helps the left. And its election systems have been overrun by privately funded groups that run Democratic get-out-the-vote campaigns to traffic ballots into ballot boxes. We cataloged this particularly complex problem in Rigged, how the media, big tech, and the Democrats seized our elections. Instead of election day, we now have election season, during which, over a period of months, We flood homes across the country with tens of millions of mail-in ballots, regardless of whether secretaries of state or local registrars have any idea if those ballots are being sent to the correct addresses. This in a country where 11% of residents move every year. We then wait for sophisticated partisan turnout operations funded by activist billionaires and run by ideological statisticians to round up those ballots in entirely selective ways, end quote. This is not leadership. This is a ghost ship. Ghost ships are echoes of the past, empty vessels carrying no one and going nowhere, guided by forces unseen. They are also warnings. Those at sea fear them because they are an ominous sign that something bad will happen. A country like ours, with freedom baked into its DNA, isn't going to stand for this level of corruption much longer. Our leaders, our media, and our institutions are failing us. That means when they go down, the whole system goes down with them. No matter how 2024 turns out, whether Biden wins or loses, this is endgame for the swamp. 
They've painted themselves into a corner with two ineffectual leaders at the top of the ticket. They have no one to replace them because the only decent candidate in the Democratic Party is Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and he don't play. To lead what has become of our government at the hands of both parties is like being the only person who can be hired to work at Bernie Madoff's company. You have to be in on the scam, otherwise the whole thing is threatened. Dissent is getting much louder thanks to Elon Musk buying Twitter and unclogging one of our main arteries. Vivek Ramaswamy and Kennedy are speaking out in ways the American people crave. For podcast listeners, here are two tweets by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Quote, Here's how I will dismantle the surveillance state. I will replace the officials that have been instructing tech companies to censor users. I will direct the Justice Department to stop prosecuting whistleblowers and start investigating the crimes they expose. I will rescind administrative policies that surveil Americans' communications. In the long term, it is about forging an entirely different relationship between people and government based on respect. End quote. Hashtag Kennedy 24... 3.2 million views. And the second tweet, quote, the financial censorship of our political enemies is something we're used to and seeing under authoritarian regimes. No one was surprised when Russia froze more than 100 bank accounts tied to opposition leader Alexei Navalny. But Canada did it too, locking more than 200 accounts of people protesting vaccine mandates, end quote. Hashtag Kennedy 24, 4.6 million views. And Vivek Ramaswamy, quote, The American bargain is that, for better or worse, we settle our political disputes through free speech and open debate. The best ideas win when no ideas are censored. Government must stop using the private sector as its censorship bureau, end quote. And his second tweet, quote, I will shut down the fourth branch of government, the administrative state. You cannot tame that beast. You must end it, end quote. You'd think, given that, they'd have a better plan than Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. But they didn't count on what happened next because none of us did. No one could have predicted a fanatical cult would overtake the Democratic Party or that we'd see anything like the last two years. No one could have predicted such a catastrophic exit from Afghanistan, which, yes, Bill Maher, has destabilized the Middle East and the entire world as Konstantin Kissin points out on Bill Maher's show. What happened in Afghanistan and other signaling from America under Biden made America weaker in the eyes of other people. Why do you think there's a crisis with China now? Why do you think there's a crisis with Ukraine? These are not accidents. People look at what's happening here and they go, the country's weak, the country's distracted, the country's divided, it's time for us to act. But, actually it's, but actually it's not. That's the thing. It's that I, I would have... If you, had, if you had said to me five years ago, before Trump and before COVID, do you think this country will be where we are right now after those two disasters? I would have said, no, we're going to be up Shit's Creek. And yet, life goes on amazingly well. The economy is doing, it's like, what is unemployment, 3% or something? I thought that would take us down. The, the, I thought Trump would take us down. I, I never thought he would do the things that other people said. I didn't think he was going to get into a war. Everybody was saying that on the left. He's going to get us into a war. He's going to crash the market. I said, no, what he's going to do is try to stage a coup. That's the thing he did do. Okay, but he didn't do all that shit. Life went on. Where I feel like America is amazingly resilient and stable. I agree with you. I mean, I, uh, amazingly. I, I, I mean, I agree broadly in the sense that, you know, there's this 
kind of catastrophizing about America since, you know, I started paying attention to politics. It's every year and every party does it. But the thing that you have to correct if you're Democrats is in that same recent poll is asked if the economy was good or excellent. The numbers were on 17 to 18 percent. So it's prices at the pump. It's inflation. It's things like that. That has lowered, but it has not cleared the decks in people's minds. They still believe it's a big disaster. Now, look, Joe Biden inherited a terrible situation on the economy. But uh, I think you misunderstand me, perhaps. Well, I'm not saying America isn't resilient. I'm just saying I think it's important that America continues to be a force in the world. And it, it hasn't been in the way that it ought to be, in my opinion. So you, you have the perspective, I think, that people from your... Mars ignorance here is not unusual. This happens when you have a curated reality, courtesy of an activist press corps, comfortable with telling lies. To tell the truth would be not only to admit failure, but to have been complicit in putting this mess in power, with no real alternatives for Democrats. Let's keep the balls spinning, keep the scam going, distract with the outrage of the moment. Populism on the Rise Things might have gone differently had Barack Obama chosen Biden as his successor in 2016. But Obama wanted to follow the first black president with the first female president, Hillary Clinton. That opened the door for Trump and awakened a grassroots populist movement otherwise known as MAGA. Here is a recent speech caught on video by an attendee of an event featuring Tucker Carlson after leaving Fox as the speaker talking about populism. You often hear the word populism batting around. Populism, populism. And, you know, it's hard to know exactly what that means, any of these political labels. Is that like Huey Long? Is that Hugo Chavez? Like, what is, what is that that we're talking about? And in this country at this time, what they call populism is pretty non-scary so far as I can tell. I haven't heard anybody calling for appropriating the land of anybody imposing 100% tax rates on Bill Gates, though I'm open to that, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm not, I'm not. Um, that I would admit in public. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm for it, whatever. <laughs> I think that's irresponsible. Um, but the populism that, you know, there are only like four populist politicians in the country, but and they're all reviled by everyone in charge, and they're so dangerous, and they're all Mussolini, you know, there'll be concentration camps like that. Are they the ones who rented everyone during COVID and locked them down in their homes, kept the kids out? I don't think they are, actually. Um, but the populism that we see in this country right now is really, it's not even a demand, it's just a polite request that politicians sort of pretend to address the issues that people actually care about. That's really what it is. Yeah. No one's calling for hurting anybody. It's just the opposite. In fact, the people who are hurting the population hate populism. But the populace at this point, this could all change, of course, because politics is fluid and it does change, sometimes very abruptly. Um, but right now, it's just like, hey, guys, there are these problems. Can you just please, just for one second, take time out from whatever weird thing you're doing that has nothing to do with my life and just like pay attention to me for one second? And the answer is not only no, but I think we may have to arrest you. <laughs> And so, a pretty good way, and at the same time, we're arresting you because democracy. We're really supporting democracy. Democracy is what we're That freaks me out every time I say that, because of course it's exactly the opposite. Therefore, democracy, they would, they would perform a very simple exercise, which I just do occasionally to amuse myself. 
And that's just get public opinion polling. Pick your polling firm, aggregate all of them together, doesn't matter, polling's done every day by a bunch of different company, country, companies on what Americans care about. And it's very straightforward. This is not sophisticated stuff at all. It's like, hey, Mr. and Mrs. America, what do you care about? Just put your concerns in order. And they're always kind of the same. The economy, always number one. Crime, immigration. Those are like the top three. And then compare those concerns to the concerns of the people leading the country. Are those their top three? Are they in the top 50? <laughs> in fact, not only are they not on the list, the opposites are on the list. It's like, I'm worried about the economy. Okay, we're going to print some more money and increase your inflation and just totally devalue US dollars like we're impoverished and then we're going to take control of your digital currency. Is that what you're saying you want? Oh, it's the opposite of what you want? Okay, we're going to give you a, a double helping of what you don't want. <laughs> well, you think the country's changing so fast you don't recognize it and maybe like you didn't sign up for that? Oh, we're going to let in 7 million people without asking for permission illegally and they're just going to live here forever. Like, if you don't like it, you're racist. Shut up. Huh? Crime? Yeah, I'm, my elderly mother's afraid to go to the grocery store. Okay, we're gonna let everybody out of prison. And if they kill you, you can't defend yourself. Is that kind of what you're asking for? No, it's the opposite. Shut up. You're a dangerous extremist. Because <laughs> democracy. Any healthy government or democracy built as a constitutional republic welcomes grassroots involvement from its citizens, but not this one. Instead, they began a lengthy and systematic dehumanization campaign, calling them racists and white supremacists, scapegoating them to drive votes. Even now, all of them will tie these words together, white, Christian, nationalist extremism. But the white distinction is their delusion, not found in evidence. By now, real investigative reporting is slowly unpeeling the onion, exposing corruption at the highest reaches of power. They can keep covering it up, ignoring it, but the truth can find its way out. The people will not soon forgive brazen corruption like this. Sooner or later, they'll find out about it. The Twitter files were always the clue to unraveling a scandal bigger than Watergate, if only we still had real journalists covering politics in the mainstream then it would really be the story of the decade. Jacob Siegel's expose on the disinformation hoax has, in typical fashion, been blacked out by the mainstream press. Even after Matt Taibbi exposed the embarrassing and shameful table read, wherein they practice how to respond to the October surprise of the Hunter Biden laptop story, which the FBI already knew about in advance and was simply tossing them necessary breadcrumbs. For podcast listeners, a graphic from the House Judiciary Committee, quote, Biden campaign Blinken orchestrated intel letter to discredit Hunter Biden laptop story. Ex-CIA official says, end quote. And from Racket News, quote, Last December, Michael Schellenberger reported in a Twitter files thread that the Aspen Institute hosted a hack and dump working group exercise in the summer of 2020 titled Burisma Leak which predicted with uncanny accuracy an upcoming derogatory story in the New York Post about Hunter Biden's lost laptop. The documents Schellenberger published showed how at least five media figures, including David Sanger and David McGraw of the New York Times, Ellen Nakashima of the Washington Post, then Daily Beast and future Rolling Stone editor Noah Schachtman, 
and Rick Baker of CNN worked alongside Twitter and Facebook's chief moderation officers, Joel Roth and Nathaniel Gleitscher, to plan a response to a hypothetical damaging expose about Joe Biden's son. The Burisma leak exercise predicted many elements of the real response to the New York Post's coming Hunter Biden story, including complaints from influential Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff about its source and veracity, and public statements from former senior intelligence officers falsely raising the specter of a Russian operation. Here is Jacob Siegel talking to Glenn Greenwald. Um, you devoted an entire section of, of the article. You had 13 kind of parts or chapters uh, to the case of how the media and big tech treated the question of Hunter Biden's laptop. It's amazing that liberals have been trained the minute you even mention the phrase Hunter Biden's laptop, they've automatically been conditioned to believe you're talking about something trivial. Why did you decide to devote an entire chapter to that episode, and you emphasize the importance of it when doing so. What importance do you see in it? What could possibly be less trivial than, you know, 49 senior U.S. intelligence officials and the FBI lying openly to the American public and pressuring the social media platforms to censor reporting weeks before a presidential election and censoring the second oldest newspaper in the United States. I mean, I can't think of a more direct, more brazen assault, not only on freedom of speech, we're talking about what do people think voting is? What do they think their voting rights and their political sovereignty are? You know, if you're kept in the dark and spun around and then, you know, released at the last second and presented with, two false choices and allowed to pick one, that's not exactly self-government. And uh, so I look at the way in which people have been sort of, liberals in particular, have been conditioned to sort of yawn and parrot the AOC line about how this is still a half-fake story or whatever, as a reflexive response that also demonstrates the power of this sort of mimetic propagation of attitudes that, in a sense, is the flip side of censorship. So if censorship exists to eliminate certain forms of information, there is a kind of Or disinformation, complex. disinformation. You mean if censorship exists to eliminate right. disinformation? Well, what they call disinformation. Right, I exactly. Call it information. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. exactly, which is what this case illustrates, <laughs> yeah. right? Is that the people who claim to be right, fighting against right. disinformation were the ones who spread it, as they did in so many other cases. But the flip side of that is that there's also a, a powerful way to um, create a kind of conformity of opinion on critical issues like the Biden laptops, for instance, where you have first, you know, the press all fall in line. Virtually the entire press establishment falls in line. It becomes verboten to talk about this. And how does this work? Again, through kind of embarrassment. You know, you're mocked if you take this seriously. You're scorned by your peers and your colleagues. You're conditioned to treat this as if it's no big deal. And anybody who says otherwise is a right-wing fanatic. Um, but I think that it's as big a deal 
as one can find. Yeah, I mean, I recently said on one of my shows that not only will I likely talk about the Hunter Biden laptop story until the day I die, but I'll probably request there be something about it on my tombstone because it's not only so gargantuan, but what infuriates me the most, aside from the fact that the people who constantly claim to be the warriors against disinformation were the ones who spread those lies, as they so often did in the COVID case and so many others, including examples you mentioned, is that even though we now have the definitive proof from the media institutions, they tell us to trust that the Hunter Biden laptop was authentic all along and was never Russian disinformation, not a single media outlet that spread that lie has gone back in the wake of this new evidence and confronted what they did or even explained it, let alone retracted it. And the same thing happened in the story that you mentioned in your article where Jeff Gerth, who was at the belly of the beast in the main... And Siegel talking to Reason Magazine about just how deep it went and how bad it's gotten. Remember this? It's now clear that so-called fake news can have real-world consequences. Clinton was just coming off her loss to Donald Trump. We didn't know it at the time, but this speech marked an important turning point in American politics. The political establishment and its sympathizers in the press sought to convince Americans that not only was democracy under attack, but so too was reality itself. And what was the enemy's superweapon? disinformation. Journalist Jacob Siegel laid out the origins of this panic in A Guide to Understanding the Hoax of the Century, an essay in Tablet. The hoax is the false claim, and I would argue the deliberately false claim, that the United States and indeed uh, all liberal democracies are under a dire existential threat from disinformation that was so dangerous in the way it undermined the foundations of electoral legitimacy and liberal democracy itself, that it required a a wartime response and a wartime mobilization, meaning the suspension of due process, of constitutional rights and protections, and the giving over of the political system itself to security agencies and their adjuncts within the administrative bureaucracy so that they could protect us from this disinformation threat, which was, you know, like more dangerous than terrorism because it was everywhere at once coming in through our our very screens and, and iPhones. Siegel says there's one big problem with all that. All of this constitutes the hoax because there was no grave threat from disinformation, let alone a existential threat that justified the sort of state of exception that was used to fundamentally re-engineer the political system in the United States, which is what took place. Newspaper headlines warned Americans that Russian disinformation had cost Clinton the election. And CIA director turned NBC News analyst John Brennan theorized that Trump was being blackmailed by Russia. I think he's afraid of the president of Russia. Why? Um, Well, I think one can speculate as to why, uh, that the Russians may have something on him personally. A two-year, $32 million investigation turned up no evidence that Trump colluded with or was compromised by Russia. In terms of the 2016 outcome, a better explanation is that Clinton had been one of the least popular presidential candidates in American history. And Russian troll farms were responsible for a tiny fraction of the political content 
that appeared on social media during the election. So how did the notion of aggressively policing dis and misinformation catch on in the first place? Siegel says it comes down to a progressive technocratic mindset that aims to treat individuals as empty vessels that need to be filled with the correct opinions. There's a sort of special synergy between um, progressivism, not liberalism, mm -hmm. but progressivism and, and techno surveillance states. They, mm -hmm. they do share certain important things in common that sort Can of- Can you talk a little bit about them? I mean, is what, what is that? Is it that individuals are, are stupid or prone to being, you know, gulled into the wrong decision? So they need yes. to- you know, Yes. What else? Uh, it, faith in the expert class, a, a faith in the idea mm -hmm. that um, things uh, converge towards singular, correct um, outcomes or decisions that can be discerned through technical processes. That technocratic attitude is on full display in a series of statements from the public intellectual and podcaster Sam Harris, who defended the idea that suppressing the Hunter Biden laptop story though true, might have been justified. So, so my argument is that it was appropriate for Twitter... Finish the job. The heads of Vice President Kamala Harris was uniformly rejected by voters, even in her home state of California. She had two disastrous debate performances, wherein she called Joe Biden a racist. Putting her in power would mean accepting someone who either lied about racism or was willing to put up with it. Harris was chosen because of a comment by Lawrence Tribe that hinted at Biden choosing her for cosmetic reasons. God forbid anyone tells the truth around here. For podcast listeners, a graphic, Harvard professor apologizes for suggesting that Joe Biden picking a black running mate would be cosmetics. Harris was supposed to be the lubrication to ease female voters into feeling better about supporting an old white guy. She was the perfect online virtue signal for beleaguered, upset, and traumatized Hillary voters. But she seemed to fumble on the job, unable to give great speeches, not showing up at the border, and came off as easily triggered in interviews. Her approval numbers began to plummet. Surely even they know that Harris as president would be an unmitigated disaster. At the very least, this country needs a leader at the top that they actually voted for. Neil Howe and William Strauss could not have fathomed a country this divided by the elites and the working class during the fourth turning. At least it's not covered in their 2007 book, even if it was sparked by the financial crisis of 2008. They could predict the people rising up, but who could predict what has become of the legacy media that freely and comfortably lies to the public every day? From the Generation Report. Angelo Codavilla was an Italian-born American Foreign Service officer, government official, professor of international relations, research fellow, and author. In an essay published in The American Spectator in the summer of 2010, Codavilla observed that the U.S. government's response to the recent financial crisis had led Americans to start, in his words, referring to those in and around government as the ruling class. Many writers and scholars going back decades have described the separation, both physical and psychological, of American elites from ordinary citizens. But Cotevilla stands out, not only for giving this group a name and for defining its outer characteristics, but for giving it a collective psychological profile so detailed 
He was able to anticipate the course of future events with a foresight that can only be described as eerie. Writing and speaking about America's ruling class would be the focus of Cotevilla's work until his death in 2021. Here are a few samples of Cotevilla's writings through the years. A uniform class now presides over nearly all federal and state government bureaucracies, over the media, the educational establishment, and major corporations. Whether formally in government, out of it, or halfway, America's ruling class speaks the language and has the tastes, habits, and tools of bureaucrats. It rules uneasily over the majority of Americans not oriented to government. While the ruling class thinks that Americans are unfit to run their own lives, most Americans have noticed that our ruling class has lost every war it has fought, run up an unpayable national debt, and generally made life worse. Dismissal of the American people's intellectual, spiritual, and moral substance is the very heart of what our ruling class is about. Its principal article of faith, its claim to the right to decide for others, is precisely that it knows things scientifically and operates by standards beyond others' comprehension. Our ruling class has substituted vehement assertion for truth, cast aside argument, foreclosed questions, celebrated its own deed, and vowed to persist in it. The ruling class having chosen raw power over law and persuasion, the American people reasonably concluded that raw power is the only way to counter it, and looked for candidates who would do that. What matters a lot is that our ruling class does not deal and will never again deal with their opponents as fellow citizens. The more time that passes since my first encounter with Strauss and Howe's ideas in my 20s, the more I realize how many outcomes they didn't anticipate because of complexities they didn't account for. We are in a fourth turning today. But in the pages of the fourth turning itself, you won't pick up many clues that America would someday see an insulated concentration of power within the federal government and the establishment that aligns with it such as we have now, never mind power that would be dispatched for its own interests against those of millions of Americans. Plainly, that's where we are. Angelo Cotavilla, more than anyone else, saw this train coming. And in case you still doubt his singular contribution to our language about and our understanding of the changes we're living through, take it away, Tucker Carlson. America is still a great country, the best in the world, but our ruling class is disgusting. They maintain their rule by bullying, even as they place themselves outside the bounds of criticism. They've watched the country decline as they have ascended, just as the rest of us have watched. They know what they've done. And even I have concluded it might be worth taking just 10 minutes out of your busy schedule to say a prayer for the future. And I hope you will. We are doing the thing no functioning society should ever do. Erase the majority of the middle class, leaving only the upper class and the impoverished. Victor Davis Hansen from Founding Values. In other words, we did exactly what the Greeks and Romans and medieval thinkers warned us about. We created... Our a very, very wealthy elite that was not subject to the consequences of their own ideology, and whether out of virtue signaling and guilt, or whether out of contrived political necessity, they made a political alliance with the very poor of California. And the poor said, give us more entitlements, 
tax the middle class, transfer that money to us. We need it. And the wealthy said, yes, we will. We'll open the borders. We'll transfer money. But you have to vote for issues that we're in favor of. And we're in favor of them precisely because they don't affect us. The middle class is never very popular among the rich and the poor. And you can see that in the vocabulary. As a philologist, I always look at the words people use. And whereas in before, middle class voters and their preferred candidates were said, you know, these are, these are solid choices. These are the uh, yeomen of the state. These are the genuine Americans. Today, they're called clingers, the clingers of Pennsylvania, as our President Obama called them. It's not surprising then that they get better than they cling to guns or religion or uh, antipathy towards people who aren't like them. Hillary Clinton, a candidate for president in 2016, used the term deplorable and irredeemable. You can put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. <laughs> Joe Biden used the term chumps and dregs of society. They're a small percentage of the American people, virulent people, some of them the dregs of society. And instead of using the full might of the executive branch. And the idea was that, and we're going to see this later on, that as globalization took hold and muscular labor was no longer essential uh, to the American experiment. In other words, you could make, have things made overseas in China or Southeast Asia or Mexico, and the great middle-class territory of the middle west of the United States, Michigan, Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, started to become hollowed out. We confused cause and effect. We said, well, people of the middle class are on drugs, or they're committing suicide, or they're dysfunctional or they're not worth saving. And we created this vocabulary of disparagement. If they really had any gumption, they'd go to the oil fields or they'd learn coding. Who needs to assemble? Who needs to manufacture? Who needs to use their arms? And we wrote off an entire section of America, which was the middle class. The erosion of the middle class is something that the ancient philosophers, and indeed our own founding fathers, warned about. The erosion of the middle class leads to a society of two classes, wealthy and poor, oppressed and oppressor, a binary that's very unstable. And the best word I could use to term it would be medieval. And so we've ended up in our own society doing exactly what we thought would never happen in America. We've taken the middle class, the backbone of citizenship, and we've eroded it and destroyed it. They think they can keep modulating language and that will help make all of this easier to stomach. What's happening in Afghanistan? What's happening in our cities? What's happening in our justice system? Cheryl Atkinson interviewed the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction, who said that the State Department was guilty of, quote, the worst I have seen in transparency, end quote, in the 20 years of bipartisan oversight. Due to Atkinson's reporting, the State Department has now said they will cooperate with Congress. Reason Magazine does the work no major media outlets will regarding the bogus, seditious conspiracy charges against the Proud Boys from January 6th. Quote, Leaving aside the novel legal strategy that prosecutors used in the Proud Boys case, seditious conspiracy charges are inherently amorphous. 
On its face, the statute could apply to any protest. That includes violence if the government alleges that the organizers intended that result and aimed to interfere with the execution of any law of the United States. That leaves prosecutors with broad discretion that invites politically motivated charges, end quote. Seditious conspiracy has been used to punish people attacking the government as enemies of the United States, to hurt the country itself. This is not what anyone did on January 6th unless you believe that Joe Biden, the Democrats, and the ruling class are the country, which they are not. Goodbye, utopia. Hello, reality. Both sides now hate Woody Allen for crimes he may or may not have committed. But I'll never give him up because his movies have shaped so much of my life. Nothing reminds me of what we're living through now more than Sleeper. Just as comparing this moment with the Red Scare of the 1950s, we have to reverse the political ideologies. In Sleeper's dystopian future, the underground resistance are the Marxists. In our country now, it's the opposite. But in all other ways, they are the same. Like the sanitized future that has purged humanity of art, truth, love, and even sex. In exchange, they get the serenity of a well-maintained life. Here is Diane Keaton as Luna, trying to recite a poem, but she can't write anything because she can't think for herself. Say, there's something on your mind, isn't there? They arrested Dalton Porter today. (gasps) Why? He was with the underground. No. It was horrible. They tried to reprogram his mind and something went wrong. He's a vegetable. Mm, I don't want to hear about this, Harold. I I saw it happen. Mm -mm. Uh, He was babbling. He claimed he saw secret experiments at the Lexitron Hospital, something called Aries. I absolutely do not want to hear about it, Harold. This world is so full of wonderful things. What makes people suddenly go berserk and hate everything anyway? I mean, why does there have to be an underground? After all, there's the orb and there's the telescreen and there's the orgasmatron. What more do they want? It's hard for us to understand the criminal element. We're artists. We respond only to beauty. Oh, yes, I know. Harold, um, I wrote a new poem today. You didn't. Yes, I did. A little boy caught a butterfly and said to himself, I must try to understand my life and help others. Not just mothers and fathers, but friends, strangers too with eyes of blue and lips full red and round. But the butterfly didn't make a sound, for he had turned into a caterpillar by and by. It's deep. You're so obviously influenced by McCune. Uh, uh, Do you really like it? Only one thing. Uh, They change from caterpillars into butterflies, not the other way. They do? They do? Damn it! Damn it! Damn it! I always get that wrong! Relax, relax. Oh, no, not the whole evening. Spoiled! No. Spoiled! And I'm getting a headache anyway! Luna. Shoot! I hate to be wrong! They're being led by a massive government that simply needs a symbol the people can obey. Their revolution has them breaking into the government to destroy what has become of that leader. But only his nose remains after a terrible accident. In this scene, Woody Allen and Diane Keaton are posing as doctors to clone the nose and recreate their leader. 
They think if they can destroy it, they can save the country. I realize what I'm about to say will come as a great shock. However, I'm counting on you to respond appropriately. Ten months ago, our leader suffered a horrible accident when a bomb planted in his home by members of the underground exploded. Naturally, it was kept quiet. But since then, we have virtually been a leaderless society. Unfortunately, preparations for a successor have never been adequately clear. In short, we have been in the throes of a major crisis. As for our leader, the emergency department rushed to the scene of the accident immediately, but all that remained of him was this. This is our leader's nose. Using great presence of mind, we rushed the nose to our closest Delta laboratory, which is here, where, through massive biochemical effort, it has been kept alive for nearly a year. Our dream has been that by cloning, we would reduplicate the entire leader again. But of course, nothing changes. The movie's last scene makes the point that when the establishment controls the government, no longer matters who the leader is. Miles, Erno's going to lead the revolution and head the new government. Look, don't you understand? In six months, we'll be stealing Erno's nose. Political solutions don't work. I told you that. It doesn't matter who's up there. They're all terrible. You know, the political men... What, what are you looking at me like that for? I think you really love me. And so it goes with Biden and the deep state. Things might have gone fine had Biden not chosen Harris. But Biden wants to make history, as do most of the Democrats. They know that after the dust settles on this era, all that will remain is her face in history books. We already know how that's going to go. We know who will be writing those books. In the end, for Biden, his legacy will be intact. And that's all that really matters. He will finish the job Obama couldn't, and finally elevate a woman to the most powerful job in the world. If he has to demonize half the country to keep his voters scared and compliant, so be it. But putting Harris in the top spot, when she never had to prove her leadership skills to the American people, however, is how empires fall. They were so busy tinkering with their utopian diorama, they weren't looking out for the rest of us. With World War looming on the horizon, a crisis at the border an extreme political polarization among other monumental problems at this pivotal moment in our history. We need strong leadership that people voted for. But what I love about this moment are the voices rising. These are the truth-tellers who follow in the footsteps of none other than Donald Trump. Without someone with that kind of toughness and resilience to say things no one else would or could, there would not be a hunger for more of it. As James Strzok says about RFK Jr., quote, The confected sense most politicians project is no accident. It's a feature, not a bug, of our dysfunctional system. Candidates and officials tend to express other people's thoughts in other people's words. It's as if they're speaking underwater. ChatGPT could readily compose their remarks. By contrast, Kennedy's announcement speech conveys a hard-edged, heartfelt authenticity. His critics, there are many, must concede his moxie and sincerity. His presidential campaign is annoying, if not enraging, numerous family members and longtime friends and allies. 
Moving from establishment icon to real-time insurgent is no small thing. Whatever one thinks of his candidacy, Kennedy is exhibiting exemplary moral and physical courage. He isn't the first Kennedy to run against a sitting Democrat. Teddy did it back in 1979 for much of the same reasons. Carter was failing the American people and someone had to say something. It's hard to imagine any Democrat speaking as honestly and openly as RFK Jr. has. He is a necessary alpha voice that will lift the heads of many who have become hopeless and demoralized at the hands of a corrupt system that no longer hears the cries of its citizens. And I am one of them. Thank you for listening to my Substack, sashastone.substack.com. And remember, to thine own self be true.